Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. All right, welcome to the Week 10 version of the NFL Report. I'm Steve White, here with my guy, James Palmer. This is the Monday edition, JP, and we had some down-to-the-wire games on Sunday, sir. Oh, yeah. Oh, we certainly did, Steve. I was on the edge of my seat. I, if I, I don't gamble against NFL League policy, but if you were a gambler on Sunday, I don't know what you went through. Yeah, you, uh, were, those you, were games feeling good. <laughs> you were feeling good. But, but I mean, here's some other things. We have a huge show today, okay? We're going to be joined by the general, John McClain, who knows everything Houston Texans, yeah. our own Bridget Condon, our own Bucky Brooks, who called the Jags Niners blowout and our own Jeffrey Chidea for his first read segment. But also, James, the Vikings and Texans keep winning. The NFC and the AFC North remain unsettled. The Niners again made that emphatic statement. But how about this one? The Raiders continued their addition by subtraction victory tour. And last thing, JP, before we really get rolling right here, we know the international series is finally over. And overseas in Europe, it is all about football, the soccer style. Well, this weekend, it was all about games being decided by the actual foot. This is when the Browns made this trade. This is why he was brought here. Dustin Hopkins, one time, my friend. <laughs> one time. This will be a 40-yard field goal attempt for the middle of the fields. Three seconds left. Here's the snap. It's a good one. The hold is good. The kick is on its way, end over end, and it is good. The Browns have won it. They've come from behind. That's right. The Browns came from behind to win on that game-winning field goal. One of five game-winning field goals. And, JP, that tease it up for our Monday segment. Bigger news. Okay. The Browns' last second win over the Ravens or the Texans' last second win over the Cincinnati Bengals in the natty. Wow. Right, real quick before I get going, friend of the show, Roddy McLeod right there, hugging Dustin Hopkins, who had maybe the quote of the weekend saying, I felt like an arsonist that put out my own fire yes. by kicking that game-winning field goal. Because remember, <laughs> he missed an extra point late. Yes, he did. Which is a phenomenal quote, by the way. I'm going to say the bigger news is that the Browns took down the Ravens because it has a larger impact than the Texans beating the Bengals, which we will get to and was a brilliant win and another great performance by C.J. Stroud. Because, Steve, this win had the Ravens really on the verge of distancing themselves from the rest of the group in an unbelievably packed AFC North. Now, with the Browns winning that game, they are in the thick of things. Them and the Steelers, both a half a game back of the Ravens. What do we have uh, coming up on Thursday, Steve? What's that game on Thursday night? Do oh, you my. Know? Could it be... Uh... The Steelers, is that the Steelers at the Browns? Yeah. 
And then that? we also have the Ravens and the Bengals, Bengals going on. at it as well this upcoming weekend. So that's why this win by the Browns really bunched up this division once again. And I thought, to me, the Ravens have been out physically everybody. You know, they went and laid a beat down on the Lions, on the Seahawks. And what did the Browns do in the second half? They were just wearing out the Baltimore Ravens. Specifically, you see from that Jerome Ford run where the entire team's pushing him halfway down the field. And if the defense continues to play like one of the best in football, and we see Deshaun Watson play like he played in the there second you half. There go. 14 of 14, played well with his legs on an injured ankle. It was almost kind of a representation of the way this game was and the way this Browns team fought. He fought through that ankle injury. He played brilliantly in the second half. The first time I think Browns fans can say, this is why we gave him that contract. This team could be very dangerous if Deshaun Watson continues to play like that moving forward because we know how good the defense is. And, and, th and this is why I'm with you on, on the Cleveland victory being bigger. I mean, standings aside, we have seen the Browns' defense step up when Deshaun Watson was hurt, when P.J. Walker was their starting quarterback. We've seen other players and other units step up. Now they stepped up while Deshaun Watson was playing like he finally felt comfortable playing the game. That, to me, is dangerous. Because when you watch Deshaun Watson, I mean, besides mm -hmm. the 14-14 passing, some of the plays he made with his legs, and not just running the ball, but scrambling, coming to the line of scrimmage, forcing defenders into no man's land and dumping the ball over the head to Elijah Moore or something like that, it seemed good. It seemed good to him. And now I'm like, oh, boy, these Cleveland yep. Browns could really be a terrifying act if they can build some consistency with that type of effort. But quickly, JP, we cannot understate how, how big that win was by the Houston Texans over Cincinnati either. No, you can't. Real, real quick, I asked you what that game is on Thursday because I, I kind of slipped my mind. And then did I, did I we get all kind of butchered it. Thursday is Bengals at Ravens. Okay. So then Steelers at Browns on Sunday. So those are the two games. But anyway, that's beside the point. That's why we're talking about this group being bunched up. And you're right, with the Houston Texans. This is kind of going to be on my soapbox here, Steve. We always give great teams excuses when they lose. And I think, obviously, though, a lot of the times that's earned, right? The Chiefs in the opener, they lose to the Lions because they didn't have Chris Jones. They didn't have Travis Kelsey. Right. Oh, the 49ers are on this skid because they didn't have Debo Samuel. They didn't have Trent Williams. Sometimes teams are without key players, and we just don't give them any sort of love like an excuse, maybe because they haven't earned it yet. The Texans went in to Cincinnati without their leading running back their leading wide receiver, their leading tackler, their starting safety, and their kicker. They were banged up beyond belief, and what did they do? They went out there, and they performed behind the guy right there, number seven, C.J. Stroud. And I think there is a great representation. We'll talk about Stroud a lot more coming up with the general John McClain, who knows this organization better than anybody. But they do not panic in any situation, and that comes from their quarterback and their head coach. Well, that, that's right, JP. Now let's let's go back overseas. You know, we, we talked about this again. We're gonna we're really gonna talk a lot about the Texans a little bit later in the show. But overseas, we saw the New England Patriots lose again. This time to the Indianapolis Colts, and their head coach benched his starting quarterback. Here is Bill Belichick on that situation not too long ago. Bill, what made Bailey Zappi the best option at quarterback? Yeah, I just thought it was time for a change. Mac, do you still feel like Coach Belichick has you know, full faith in you as the starting quarterback of this team? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I got to play better. So, I mean, to make people believe, you got to be better. So, 
I'm not sure. I don't know. Do you still believe in yourself, Matt? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I put a lot of work into it. I got a lot of faith in myself, but um, there's just things I got to get fixed and just learn, right? Just keep learning and figure it out. All right, and for those of you listening to the podcast and you couldn't see Mac Jones' body language, you could just tell, like, these guys don't have any belief left in me. And head coach Bill Belichick said on Monday after arriving in Germany he is not going to make a decision on his quarterback whether he goes with Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi. On their other end, JP, another big story, we had Josh Dobbs winning his second game with the Vikings. So bigger news, Josh Dobbs and the Vikings not only winning their second straight with Dobbs with fifth in a row, or Mac Jones getting benched and his future now really uncertain in New England. I think the bigger news, I got to go with Mac Jones because that interception he threw in the red zone, which was a surefire go-ahead touchdown to Mike Gusecki in the end zone, he underthrows it badly. It's brutal. that interception right there, Steve, and this isn't just hyperbole. This isn't an exaggeration. It very well, as Bill O'Brien's laying into him on the sideline, it very well could have ended his career as the starting quarterback in New England. It could have potentially impacted the end of Bill Belichick in New England. And also, this was a game Robert Kraft wanted badly, was very open about how badly he wanted due to the fan base they're looking to build in Germany and grow. This interception really impacted so many different aspects of this organization. And now when you look at them moving to Bailey Zappi for that final drive, who threw... Let's, I mean, we could argue which interception's worse. I think Jason McCourty on the air had the best line where he said he threw it into a team meeting of Indianapolis Colts in the middle of the field. (laughs) Like, Steve, I don't know where they go from here. And it almost seems like the only card left in Bill Belichick's pocket to kind of get this locker room going would be a quarterback change because they've thought about it, to my understanding, for several weeks, haven't made it. I don't know if that's because nobody can outplay Mac right now or they don't think any of them are an upgrade, but you see what they do with Jack Jones. You see what happened with J.C. Jackson. It, it, it has been one thing after another in this locker room, and it is going to be fascinating to see what happens at the end. So I think it's bigger news because this might be the end of Mac Jones in New England. I, I think it will be. I mean, the Patriots have a bye. He's been benched three times. That was a disastrous interception. Like you said, owner Robert Kraft in a pregame interview with Rich Eisen here at NFL Network said, we were not expecting the season to go like this. And he was clear he is not happy with the way things are going. But I'm not putting all this on Mac Jones. You talk about this could be the you know something that gets Bill Belichick, help exacerbate his firing. Bill Belichick has to take a huge share in that because they drafted Mac Jones. They had a foundation for him. They completely disrupted it in 2022 by hiring two defensive coaches to run the offense, which was a disastrous season. They have not developed him mm-hmm. this year. And the one thing you've got to do when you draft a quarterback with a promise is to try to develop him and not have a setback. We've seen Mike McDaniels, the confidence he's given in Tua. We've seen D'Amico Ryans, what he has done with C.J. Stroud, right? These are things that have not been done with Mac Jones. And when you saw him at the end of this game, I know that clip he said he believed in himself. His confidence could not have been lower. All right, JP, we're talking a lot. We're yeah. teasing some of the Houston Texans, but coming up, we are coming up with the ultimate authority, the General John McClain, as we're going to be talking all things Houston Texans next on the NFL Report.
CJ one back, it's Boone. Here's the snap, Stroud looking. Stroud firing downfield and caught by Schultz at the 46 yard line. Now motion by Boone. CJ takes the snap, throws over the middle. Hits Noah Brown, breaks the tackle 30. Get out, get out. 25, Noah 20, and he's wrapped up time out, time at the out. 20 yard line. Timeout called with five seconds to go. Here's the snap, here's the spot, here's the kick, plenty of leg, and it's good! The Texans walk off with a win Yes, Cincinnati. They take it 30 to 27. Matt Amendola at the buzzer. The Texans walk away with a win that we'll never forget. Oh, the soothing pipes of Mark Vandermeer on the call for the Houston Texans. And we are joined by, to me, one of my best mentors I think I've had in covering the NFL, Steve, and John McClain, the general, the senior sports columnist at 610 Sports Radio, the flagship radio station of the Houston Texans. The general is in the house. John, I'm going to start this off with a pretty loaded question here. We have a rookie head coach. We have a rookie offensive coordinator. We have a rookie quarterback. To you, who has been the most impressive and maybe the most surprising in your mind in this performance so far between D'Amico Ryans, Bobby Slowick, and C.J. Stroud? And they have a rookie quarterback coach. If you'd asked me the most yeah. underrated, unsung, it'd be Gerard Johnson, who's a quarterback coach Love for it. the first time in his career. And D'Amico, I want to say right off They've won five games. They haven't won five games since 2019. Last year, they made the playoffs. Four, four, and three wins the last three seasons. Starts at the top. The team is a reflection of Ryan's, and they're tough mentally and physically. And I am amazed at the way he's transformed a team that I predicted go 6-11. and 11. Well, John, I mean, mm. to that point, you, you have covered Houston sports for 47 years, and you've covered – the Houston Texans organization since their inception in the past few years, they have been stuck in some serious mud, right? They have been one of the butt of the jokes of the NFL. Why has D'Amico Ryans, a player you covered with the Texans, been able to pull it out of where it's been so quickly? I met D'Amico the day after he was first picking the second round in 2006 and everybody here respected him when he played. And he's one of the greatest players in franchise history. And everybody knew he was going to be a head coach after being a coordinator two years with the 49ers. Every team that had an opening, all five, were interested in him. He interviewed twice with Denver and in Houston. And the McNair family, Janice, Hannah, and Cal McNair, they don't make Nick Casario hire a coach. They wanted him. And they say, thank goodness, that's who Nick wanted. So they give D'Amico and Casario the resources to whatever they need financially, money never stands in the way. And Casario and Ryans have worked very, very well together, procuring free agents, and they had a fabulous draft. John, I want, I want to touch on Nick Casario, the, the general manager here. He's kind of maybe the guy that's not being talked about enough and what he's done in the draft each of the last two years. Then you look at some of the players he's gotten in terms of free agents. Sheldon Rankins had a, just an out-of-this-world game Same. this past Sunday. Dalton Schultz bringing him in as well. There was a moment where we were all kind of hearing reports and rumors that he was maybe going to be departing Houston. Now is this, in your mind, I know we're one year in, John, but like, D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario maybe the best head coach GM combo we've seen in Houston? 
Well, it's too early to say that, James, because you had Gary Kubiak and okay. Rick Smith won back-to-back division titles and playoff games. and But D'Amico's off to a better start than Kubiak was. Kubiak's first year in 2006. And Casario was never leaving Houston. Uh, he was He's on the third, third year of a six-year contract. He's got a head coach that he can work great with. And D'Amico, he's not going to have players shoved down his throat because he controls the plays. So they are there in lopstep, mm-hmm. collaborative effort between the two of them. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's my column. People are talking about D'Amico in the conversation for coach of the year, Stroud in the conversation of MVP. Why not Nick Casario in the conversation for executive of the yeah. year? Yeah. There you go, General. There you go. Okay. So here's the thing. Now Love we're really going to go into your knowledge of this organization because we heard pre-draft that they really weren't feeling C.J. Stroud. They eventually clearly came back around to him, and I'm sure they're grateful that they did. But was there really any trepidation about drafting the Ohio State quarterback, who, like you said, is the leader right now for the offensive rookie of the year? And he could be in the MVP conversation too. But I think, and Mm -hmm. they'll never admit this, if they'd had the number one pick, they would have taken Bryce Young, even though there were a lot of people out there who had Stroud rated over Bryce Young. And they didn't hesitate to take him second overall. They never paid any attention to the S2 cognition test. They don't subscribe to it. They only went by what they saw. And D'Amico played a big role in it. He wanted Stroud. The Serials said, all right, let's get him. They got him. Then they traded up with Will Anderson uh, to get him as third overall pick. And they still have picks left from the trade for Watson to Cleveland. So it's not like they're Mm -hmm. going to be destitute in the draft. But, uh, I think it was young and then Stroud. John, everybody in the NFL has their eye on C.J. Stroud, and I might be the most talked about player, no lie, in the entire league over the last two weeks. But I'm curious if we could rewind and there was any maybe conversation you had early on in the spring, sometime during camp, where I don't know if anybody predicted this, but you saw or heard or had a conversation with someone to where you thought, you know what, this really might be something with Stroud in his rookie year. Yeah, I'd like to say, oh, I predicted it. James, sure, I knew he was going to do this. Nobody <laughs> right? Nick Casario didn't know it. D'Amico Ryans, Bobby Slowick, Draw Johnson. Nobody did. They started 0-2. He struggled in preseason. D'Amico waited really late in preseason, naming as a starter, and Stroud handled all that mm-hmm. very well. And uh, But nobody could imagine what he's done. And what he does the best, according to Miko, accuracy. He is very accurate. He's also mm-hmm. very poised, unflappable. He's very mobile. I heard before the draft, he needs to see more of his mobility. Huh. He didn't run at Ohio State because he had receivers running open. So he's had double-digit runs. Previous two games, eight-yard touchdown run in this one. But nobody could have imagined what he's done. So, you know, we're talking about the offensive rookie and C.J. Stroud, but they've got two defensive rookies who are – Will Anderson showed up big time against the Bengals. I mean, he had a really mm-hmm. strong game. He didn't play this week, but Henry To'o has been their leading tackler. I mean, what about them, the, the depth of this draft? You're talking about what Nick Casario did. He's nailed it. Actually, John, take Dell yeah. for two straight drafts. Steve, if you were still writing, you'd have a lot of trouble spelling To'o To'o. I have to double check it every T-O, time. T-O apostrophe O-O-O. T.O. Yeah, you got it right there in front of you, right? No! no I'm down with the 
He's played inside. He's played outside. Uh, the Texans have more snaps with rookies in eight team in the league, more snaps offensive linemen. They have so many injuries. But Toa Toa uh, came with uh, Will Anderson, Jr. Anderson is a great run player. The biggest surprise on this team, they were worst run defense in the NFL last year, gave up 170 yards a game. And last week they mm. were up to 10th, giving up 99. I'm sure they're better uh, this week. But it's amazing the transformation D'Amico Ryans and Matt Burke, the defensive coordinator, have been able to make on the run defense. And then they only rushed most of the time four guys. And y'all mentioned Sheldon Rankins earlier. Three sacks, career high. Mm -hmm. He's been great. Another one of the free agents they brought in who's worked out really well. Jonathan Bernard, their leading pass rushers in the last year of his contract. He's going to get paid by somebody. John, I, I miss my days working next to you in Houston. I, I loved covering the team on a daily basis there, so I have to know what it feels like in Houston right now. Like, what is the vibe? What is the feeling in the city right now? I've covered the NFL here for 47 years. I've been on a lot of roller coasters. Uh, 2019, they beat Buffalo in the playoffs, blew that 24-point mm-hmm. lead at Arrowhead Stadium, and it all went down the toilet. He had coaching issues, Sean Watson issues. Everybody was negative. Nobody was happy. Now it's like a dark cloud is lifted off that organization. The McNairs are happy. Hmm. Casario, I've seen Casario smile a couple of times, actually. <laughs> and then, of course, D'Amico smiled every day. It's fun to go to NRG Stadium again. All right, Zach, I got, I got to I ask it. you this. It's somewhat Texas related, but you're wearing your Pro Football Hall of Fame hat. We know you're a Pro Football Hall of Fame selector. Andre Johnson, the great Texans wide receiver, has been locked in a a cluster of wide receivers, Torrey Holt, Reggie Wayne, Steve Smith, the last couple of years. How are you as selectors going to kind of break that wide receiver logjam, and does Andre Johnson have a legitimate shot to get in in 2024? I have presented Andre in each of his first two years, and uh, I'm going against uh, Tony Dungy and Bill Pullian. They're pushing – uh, Reggie Wayne, who's deserving, Torrey Holtz, deserving, and it's kind of a log jam like it was for years with John Stallworth and Lynn Swan. So I just wish one of them would get in. I don't care which one it is, but I truly believe in my heart after watching every practice and every play of Andre Johnson's career, he's what a Hall of Famer is all about. And I don't know what we'll do on this one. Could be another year where they cancel each other out, but, uh, I think Andre has legitimate chance every year, as do Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt. Hey, JP, can you believe can you believe the general doesn't think he has more clout than Bill Polian and Tony Dungy <laughs> in that selector? Well, humility's <laughs> always been his best quality. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, hey, John, we love you, brother. We can't thank you for taking some time, thank and we you. hope to have you back on a little bit later on this season. Stephen James, it's my pleasure as always. I've known you guys forever. Keep up the great work. Appreciate you. Appreciate All right, coming it, up next on the NFL Report, they're back. There's me and James, MVP candidate, Brock Purdy, and yes, yeah. Nick Bosa and that D-line finally got it together. We'll have plenty of conversation on that and more on the NFL Report.
On the end around, here comes Debo Samuel. Blockers in front. Williams is one of them. And Debo Samuel's in. Touchdown, San Francisco. Welcome back to the NFL Report with James Palmer, Steve Weich, and it was an absolute beatdown by the San Francisco 49ers, 34-3 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Steve, our guest now, Bucky Brooks, who like, you know, there's like a gold star, like a north star you have, Steve, to all our <laughs> podcast listeners out there. It's Move the Sticks podcast with Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah. I mean, that's what we're shooting for every day, Buck. We're never going to get there, but, you know, we can strive for it. Oh, hold up now, Bucky, let him know. Let him know about the original podcast. Let we were know. the original podcast, James. Probably like you, the little research, little cover two podcast. Steve White, Bucky Brooks, bringing it to you live and direct in your ear. Like, yeah, yeah. We're I, the originators. I feel like I shouldn't even be out here. I feel hey, like man. you guys should just reunite and do a segment yourselves, just we had, two, we had, for old times' sake. And we had the flavor in the ear before this place knew how to put out a podcast. Now we rock and roll. But fuck, let's get ro- <laughs> rocking and rolling here. You called the Jags game. We had their tight end Evan Ingram on the show uh, not too long ago, and he said, "Hey." We can play physical football. We're just not a finesse football team. Was what happened Sunday against the Niners a reality check with that? I don't know if it was a reality check in terms of the physicality and toughness because they've had other games where they had to kind of step it up. They played the Pittsburgh Steelers right before the bye week. That's a game that always will test the physical toughness of your team because they're one of the standard bearers when it comes to toughness and grit and those things. Uh, What it was, though, was – a reality check in terms of the difference between playing middleweights and heavyweights. The San Francisco 49ers have been a title contender for the last few years. I understand their playing style and how physical they play, but also the talent that they have on both sides of the ball. And what you saw was uh, a little bit of a talent disparity between uh, the San Francisco 49ers and the Jaguars. You look at that defensive line, adding Chase Young. People don't even talk about the addition of Randy Gregory, but they were able to do some different things Mm -hmm. that they hadn't displayed. Uh, five-man front with all those guys kind of standing up and moving around. And it made a tremendous difference with Nick Bosa, Chase Young being able to kind of move around and really create and exploit some one-on-one matchups. And then offensively, man, you talk about being able to play positionless football. When you have a Christian McCaffrey, a Debo Samuel, a George Kittle, a Cal Juchek, and all those guys lined up in various spots on the perimeter made for a very challenging game and then the Jaguars just didn't play well enough to be able to take that game into the fourth quarter. So a disappointing performance, even though we could talk about how well the Niners played, the Jaguars certainly didn't bring their A game to this matchup. Bucky, I saw you on the sideline of that, of that Jaguar-Steelers game two weeks ago before their bye, so I'm kind of curious. We both witnessed that game, and we witnessed how they've played the games leading in to this one. They have a bye and then obviously the Niners had a bye as well. It almost seemed like the bye was beneficial for San Francisco. Get healthy, right? Regroup after three straight losses. And maybe looking at it from Jacksonville's perspective, it was like, man, I don't think we want to buy right now after that win over the Steelers. Yeah, no, nah, and talking to Doug Peterson after the game, he was kind of perplexed by the way the team performed. He thought the practices leading up to the game were great, expected the team to play really well, and they didn't. The one thing that he talked about was maybe the lack of urgency. When you have a young team and stepping up and playing in these big games, the urgency is is needed right away. And for the Niners, there was a lot of conversation about the defense, about the defensive coordinator, about Brock Purdy. This was a very motivated team that had two weeks to kind of stew in all of that muck. They came out motivated and played it like a playoff game. The Jaguars did not match their intensity, 
which is why you saw such a lopsided score. Bucky, we only have about 90 seconds left here, but you're tight with Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator with the 49ers. Mm-hmm. They made a big deal about him coming from the booth to the sideline, um, and he has kind of been in the crosshairs right here. What, what did he do? You talked about the five-man defensive front. That is not something that the Niners do very often. But what did you notice from your conversations with him or whatever, how he handled prepping his team for this game? Well, look, man, he's a guy that doesn't mind confrontation, doesn't mind being challenged, and everyone around the Bay was challenging him because he's stepping into the shoes vacated by D'Amico Ryans and then Robert Sala before. So the scheme is different. What he did do is you could tell it was an emphasis that this team was going to be physical. He changed the picture in terms of the looks a little bit. They were very creative in what they did. But more importantly, he was down on the sidelines. The communication was face-to-face. It wasn't over the phone. It wasn't him in the press box calling out to the players, he was able to get the answers to the test right away. And so maybe that move that was suggested by Cal Shanahan, maybe it worked out better because the players have had D'Amico Ryans and Robert Sala on the sidelines. Maybe they were more comfortable having the D coordinator right on the sideline so they could get whatever issues that take place in between the lines, get those addressed right away. And maybe that eye-to-eye contact is a little different than talking on the phone. So, Buck, real quick, we're, we're talking about a defense that turned a corner again as we saw them strong early and then a little bit of a lull and now kind of the performance they had this past Sunday and then obviously all the weapons back for Brock Purdy. Where do the Niners stack up for you real quick in terms of uh, the upper echelon group that's in the NFL? Are they at the top? Oh, they're one of the top three. I mean, right now I'll put Philadelphia, Kansas City, and San Francisco up there. Detroit is right uh, nipping on their heels. But the San Francisco Niners are there. And we all know, look, the, 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 the showdown is coming between the Eagles and the Niners. They won't admit it, but it's been an arms race for both teams to add yeah. weapons, to add firepower to this. Uh, the Chase Young thing, though, may take the Niners over the top because in talking to Chase Young after mm. the game, he just talked about walking into an organization, winning organization, all the stuff that you may have heard about him prior to uh, his arrival in San Francisco, I didn't see that. I saw a guy that played hard. I saw a guy that had some dominant flashes. If he plays like the defensive rookie of the year that played a couple years ago, man, look out because the Niners can get it done. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay around because that situation with him mm. and Nick Bosa, being able to have those accountability partners, is something about that they might bring out the best in his game. I don't think this might be the run of this summer really expected. Yeah, and Bucky, like you said, the environment can make all the difference in the world. Hey, brother, we appreciate you for yeah. taking some time. Get some sleep. Yeah, get some rest now. I know we've got <laughs> you that plane from Jacksonville to Los Angeles. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Buck. Every week is different, and you don't know what it's going to take to win the game. We did what we had to do to win the game. That's what good teams do. No matter what, man, I get it. Do not, do not ever feel bad or this or that about a win man they're too hard to come by you earn that win no matter what you say you earn that win and we will accept it all right that was Lions head coach Dan Campbell in the locker room after his team knocked off the Chargers 41-38 James we're now joined by Bridget Condon who was at SoFi Stadium with me and watched all of the fireworks and Bridget let's talk a little bit about the Lions and the fact that on that final drive, they were at fourth and two in field goal range, and Dan Campbell said, "Dan Campbell said, we're going for it instead of kicking the field no. goal with about a minute and a half left." What about that strategy? Because they had been nailing it on fourth down all game. How awesome would it be to play for a guy that has that much confidence in you to say, "I'm ready to go right keep- now, Bridget." 
<laughs> yeah, we could kick a field goal, and I think the analytics would have told you to kick the field goal, but they don't want to give Justin Herbert back the ball, right? He wasn't the reason that they lost. This offense was playing exceptional. I love that he decided to go for it on fourth and two. Steve, I remember very vividly in the press conference or the press room yesterday during the game, there was a play where the Lions had a fourth and five call. Do you remember it? And yeah, they went oh yeah. And ran it. And then the Chargers had a third and one and they were throwing it. And you made a comment about that. To me, that speaks to where these two teams are, right? This Lions team is continuing to build like this. They believe in their players. The coaches believe in them. They want to give them that energy, that fourth and two call. They're running the ball on fourth and five. They don't really care what this Chargers team is going to do. They believe in their <laughs> offense, whereas the Chargers, it's the complete opposite side. It seems like they're kind of trending, trending down and not feeling that confidence. You put up 38 points and you still lose a game. You know, I look at this and I, and I look at what has happened in Detroit, guys, and, and it kind of seems like when you have a lot of success in this league, a lot of times it happens when your entire team takes on the identity of the head coach. And that yeah. is exactly what's happening with the Detroit Lions. You're seeing it in a different fashion with D'Amico Ryans and the Texans in a team that just doesn't panic no matter what the situation is. That's D'Amico Ryans' style to never get too high or too low, just be kind of panic elusive in a sense. You look at Mike Tomlin's group and what they've been able to do in terms of evolving into what he is in terms of these ugly wins. This is what's happening with Dan Campbell. I go back to what you just said, Bridget. I think it was against the Vikings a season ago, right? They kicked the field goal in that instance, and they missed it. And it ate at Dan Campbell at nauseum for a length period of time. So I do I do love the aggressive going for it on fourth down five times. And if you're going to do it, you might as well keep doing it. Bridget, what I'm curious also about, as you mentioned, don't put Justin Herbert back on the field because Justin Herbert was phenomenal. And so was Keenan Allen. And so was a couple of other guys on this offense. But the defense, the opposite. What are they torched for? 530 yards? That's not good. Nope. What are they Second saying in the locker room about a defense that has a lot of dollar bills behind it but a lot of yards are going up as well brandon staley the defensive guru and now they've had two games this season where they've allowed offenses to put up more than 500 yards and their own offense has scored more than 30 points in two games this season that they've lost a lot of players were frustrated absolutely so in the locker room after this one and i talked to derwin james and he told me it was a lack of energy he said the last two games against the jets and the bears after those turnovers they were celebrating after big plays they were celebrating they created this turnover committee where they came up with little dances or whatever to celebrate the exciting moments but they didn't force a single turnover they didn't get to the quarterback at all and he said a lot of guys in this locker room i was there the past week at practice they were saying to me okay we beat the jets we beat the bears this is really the defining game for us against the lions we want to go out to prove people that we're not just winning against offenses that aren't successful we can do it against this lions team and unfortunately for this team they fell short khalil mack i talked to him and he said the thing that really pissed him off his words was that they gave up 200 yards on the ground, 177 mm. rush yards in the first half. Obviously a huge 75-yard run too, and that's what made him so mad. He's like, we've been good in the run game so far this season, and all of a sudden that just doesn't exist anymore. I asked him why. He, he said he didn't feel like they played solid. I was like, okay, why do you think that? And he said, well, we prepared for a lot of things, and the Lions did the complete opposite. So there's a lot of 
questions and you can look to okay where is this it seems like the team takes one step forward two steps back how much is that coaching how much is that players buying in why is there a lack of energy if you're playing against a very good lions team why aren't you coming out with energy i don't understand it yeah it's gonna be real interesting to see if they're gonna make a playoff push other teams are making their move uh james we said this earlier about the raiders they're taking one step forward put on a treadmill, that being the Chargers. Bridget Condon, really, really good stuff right there. When we come back next on the NFL Report. Oh, it's the Monday First Read segment. We're bringing in our Jeff Chidea. My little Colts. See what's going on there. Back on the NFL Report. Welcome back into the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you. It's a Monday, so what are we going to do? We're going to argue with Jeff Chidea about his first read column on NFL.com. It's our favorite segment on every Monday, right? Right, Steve? We just, we just go oh, at no. it with Jeff. And we get... And this week, I'm really I'm on his side because he's got a Buckeye at the top of his MVP list in C.J. Stroud right now. He's got another Buckeye at Joe Burrow, number two on his MVP list. Then he'll argue with me that it, Joe Burrow's oh, not a Buckeye. Oh. But anyways, I want to talk. I want to talk, Jeff, about the AFC South, which is after the dismantling of the Jacksonville Jaguars by the 49ers and a dramatic win by the Texans and a win overseas by the Colts, wide open. It is. It is. And you sit there and you thought the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to run away with this thing uh, as, as recently as last week. And you sit here, they take a huge loss to San Francisco. And then you're watching the Houston Texans against the Bengals. And I watched that entire game and I thought, okay, well, here's where the, the great story of C.J. Stroud ends. And all of a sudden, they're winning the game. And for me, we'll talk about this later, obviously, with the MVP race. He established himself as the leader in this race because of the way mm -hmm. he played in that game, making huge plays, coming back from a pick six. Um, he found a way to basically overcome a lot of adversity and still deliver. And so when you have that in Houston, you have what's happening with the Colts, who haven't had their starting quarterback for most of this year, and Gardner mm. Minshew was getting it done, and they got a good run game. Uh, the defense has had its problems, but they're starting to make plays when they need to make plays. It is wide open. And I, I thought this was the worst, eh, the second-worst division in football with the NFC South. But it's becoming a lot more competitive because some of these some of these teams are showing how resilient they really are. So Jeff, bigger surprise, Houston or Indianapolis? Oh, it's got to be Houston. It's got to be Houston. And, and you look at where that team has been over the last three years. They've had four coaches in three years. They've had eleven wins coming into this season, and they're relying on a rookie quarterback without much of a running game, without any real star power. And they are sitting here at five and four with an opportunity to really push Jacksonville the division or maybe get a wild card spot nobody would have predicted this i mean it, it may be at best a five six win team they're already at that point right now i, I want to chime in on the, on the colts just for a second because i, I do agree with jeff in, in terms of the texans what they're doing it's been phenomenal and they'll face the jaguars in two weeks which would be a great game down in houston uh anybody who's listening please give me that game as my assignment but also the Indianapolis Colts and what they've been through. I think Shane Steichen, Steve and I have talked about it a lot on this show, what he's been able to do. You mentioned losing Anthony Richardson. Your best player doesn't want to be there at the start of your career as their head coach and Jonathan Taylor. And I'm just kind of curious what they do with both of these backs because we saw a disappearing act 
in terms of Zach Moss in this game. It was all Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. I'm curious moving forward, guys, what they're going to do with both these backs. Using Jonathan Taylor as a receiver more than he ever has in his career has been one wrinkle that I've liked from the Indianapolis Colts in terms of the way they've gone. It's going to be fun to see because they're almost give somebody a challenge each and every week, which is, I think, really, really good coaching. Yeah, yeah, and really, you make a good point. It's like the way this league has gone this year with people focus so much on the quarterback play and how bad it's been because you've got so many young quarterbacks playing. But really, this is a league right now where coaching means more than anything. <laughs> you know, sometimes in the past, you can say that, and it's okay, yeah. you're still relying on Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or somebody and Patrick Mahomes to make a big play. But right now, we're seeing who can coach. We're seeing guys like Kevin O'Connell mm-hmm. take a, a Joshua Dobbs and make that team, keep that, keep that team winning. We're seeing what you talked about with Shane Steichen. We're seeing what you're talking about with D'Amico Ryan. We're seeing Robert Solid with the Jets. You know, it hasn't been great lately, but he's, yeah. that team is still alive yeah. in, some, in some ways here. Mike Tomlin, there's so many guys. As hard as to pick MVP, yeah. great point. coach of the year, it's going to be a whole lot tougher. Yeah, and, and it's wild because typically mm-hmm. you're, the biggest difference between college football and the NFL is college football is more about coaching. The NFL is more about players. Oh, but Jeff, on the issue of coaching. <laughs> You somehow, in your column, and here comes the <clears throat> part, have oh the Chargers emerging as a yeah. wild card team when everyone says yeah, their coach it. is going to be the next one out the door. They just took a yeah. bad loss to Detroit when their offense could not have played any better. Why do you see the Chargers getting in the AFC playoffs? Uh, not saying getting in, making it interesting. And so I, I still think they've got a great <laughs> Oh, they're making it interesting. <laughs> and, and, and so yeah. the Chargers, maybe I'm always seduced by them. Maybe I watched these games like last night, and I'm sitting here thinking, man, they just scored 38 points, and Josh Justin Herbert looks phenomenal. Yeah, the defense stinks, but they have so many, so many weapons and so much firepower, and they end up losing. And when you really look at this team, they've lost four games this season by three points. Each of, those, each of those losses came by three points or less. And so that tells me if they can find some way to make a play here or there with all this talent, they can get it going. And the second half of their, their last seven games are, are a lot of winnable games in there. Yes. The Titans, they've got the Broncos a couple of times. They've got the Raiders. They still amazingly can control their own destiny and get to a nine, even a 10-win season. I, I will agree a little bit, Steve. I want to hear your point on the Chargers because I do think when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert, yeah, that just puts you in a different stratosphere in terms of what you can do, specifically pulling certain games out, even when other aspects of your team are falling short. Yeah, and I, I agree with Jeff. I mean, Justin Herbert, I was at that game. It's just ridiculous. Keenan Allen, Hall of Fame <laughs> wide receiver. No one can tell me otherwise. But this is where I'm saying – I don't know if they can, just based on their roller coaster persona, can string together a three or a four game winning streak like we see teams do usually in their situation to make a playoff run like Jacksonville last year. But Jeff, I want to get back to you because the team that's actually ahead of them in the standing their division, the Raiders, they've won two straight. Aiden O'Connell, I call this Ooh. their addition by subtraction tour, <laughs> but you don't have them. Yeah. On your list of potential playoff teams for K. Mishur. Look, I've seen this story way too many times. I've seen it with the Raiders, by the way, two or three times. Uh, You always get a bump. (laughs) That's just what I thought you were getting at. I've seen this too many (laughs) times. I've seen this story before (laughs) with the Raiders. I coached. I was was covering the Raiders when Joe Bugle 
uh, got pushed into the into that chair. I've seen Art Shell do this. I've seen Rich Passaccia do it a couple of years ago when John Gruden got pushed out. You always can get a bump with an interim coach, and Antonio Pierce has done a great job. But I just don't think they have enough talent in, in the room. To me, the Chargers are a way more talented team than the Raiders are, and, and we, especially a quarterback. And so when you're talking about having to make plays down the stretch, yeah, you can get away with that. In the first game without Josh McDaniels, you can get away with it when you're playing a Jets team that has no offense to speak of right now. But to do it week in and week out, man, it's going to be tough. I mean, eventually you come back to who you are, and offensively, they're a pretty limited team. This is where I agree with Jeff, and I'm going to agree with Jeff moving forward as we talk about the MVP listing you have now. Oh, boy. After this past week, we have your CJ motives, Your motives are quite Joe ulterior, Burrow. JP. Yeah. Joe Burrow, no, I actually really love number three because Dak Prescott last week on this show, Jeff, was my guy that was not part of the conversation in the first half of the season, and my prediction is he will be part of the conversation at the end of the year. Run us through your top three. Why are they in the spots that they're in? Well, C.J. Stroud clearly is there because of what he's done over the last couple of weeks. I mean, he's been lights out. Mm-hmm. He's delivered in key games, and it's hard to imagine. I know people say, oh, he, they're not winning their division. They're not as good as Philadelphia or Kansas City or Baltimore. Where would they be without C.J. Stroud? Right. They, they would not be talked about as mm-hmm. a postseason contender. They don't have anybody else on that team who is doing what he's doing. So, for me, that's what, that's what an MVP does. And numbers-wise – I like that. You look at all the other quarterbacks out there, whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or whoever else you want to name, his numbers are better than all of them. <laughs> and so if it's a quarterback award yeah. and you're playing the best at quarterback, you should be in the conversation. And then obviously Joe Burrow is there because of what he's done with Cincinnati and the way he's been playing over the last few weeks. And then Dak Prescott, the most beat up on quarterback in this league, has been playing lights out for the past month and nobody wants to give him credit for it. I'm giving him credit for it now because right. he's playing at a level he's never played at. And that team is, is is playing well because of him offensively. Yeah, yeah, Dak's done some great things. And, by the way, Joe Burrow went to school at Ohio State but played football at LSU. Yeah. So, Jeff. That's what uh, they do down there, there, Steve. We watched that they one. Did. Hey, I, I, that, was, that was the most beautiful statement I've heard in quite some time. Well, a, a guy I mentioned, you know, who's not on your MVP list is Jared Goff. I mean, he's been sick with it, and he was sick with it mm-hmm. yesterday with what he did, especially to Amon Ross St. Brown. What do you see about Jared Goff, especially because the Lions are in a situation where they are leading their division and could be a major threat to come out of the NFC? Good point. Yeah, I, he, he's definitely in that second tier of candidates. And for my money, Jalen Hirsch is there as well. If you want non-quarterbacks, you've got A.J. Brown, you've got Miles Garrett, you've got Tyreek Hill. And I imagine at the end of the season, Jared Goff will be in that conversation. It's just really hard to... Look at guys like Lamar Jackson or Tua who've also played well and, and move them out of the top five. But Jerry Goff deserve, deserves to be in there. He probably gets hurt more so because he's not as spectacular. That team is really built as a team. He doesn't stand out the same way as these other guys do, uh, although he's making the plays for this team. So I agree with you. He's playing at a high level. He'll probably be in the conversation. But those other guys I mentioned just have had their moments. Jerry Goff hasn't had his moment yet. Listen, I've been very selfish this entire segment, Jeff, but that was Steve being super selfish because that was his pick 
for the quarter for the. Jeff said he's going to be there at the end of the season. Jeff said he's going to be there. That should be talked at the end of the season. He just yeah. want listen. Steve just wanted you to agree with him, Jeff. He wanted you to pub up. I needed some validation, man. In terms of validation. I love it. Well, here's. Jeff, appreciate it. We'll see you again on Monday as we break down Jeff's first read column as we do each and every week on the show. It's becoming my favorite segment I think we do on this entire show. Coming up, as we close things out, we'll talk another quarterback, Kyler Murray, return to the field. Is Kyler having the ability to maybe determine his own future in Arizona? Ooh, we'll talk about that next on the NFL Report. Hey everybody, this is Alex Highsmith of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and this is the NFL Report. Alex Highsmith from those Pittsburgh Steelers who once again were outgained and got a dub. James, we're going to get back to that here in our <laughs> final segment. But, you know, when, I'm an old newspaper guy, and you always try to write for headlines above the fold. Well, we're going to talk about some headlines that are below the fold that need our attention, and one of them was Kyler Murray's return to the Arizona Cardinals as he leads them on a game-winning drive, they come back and win 25-23 over the Atlanta Falcons. Kyler Murray, 19-32 for 249. But what he did in the back part of that game, scrambling, making runs, he didn't have to throw the ball that much in the second half, but he showed the Arizona Cardinals some of what he has. You're looking at the RPO run right here as to why he is such a threat, and the poise, James, at the end of this game showed why he's been a winner for the majority of the time he's been a starter. He could complicate some decisions if he keeps on playing like this for Arizona as to who their quarterback of the future should be, because it could very well be him. That's the fascinating aspect about this, Steve. I, I, that's the part that I love about this. And, and on this run that you're seeing right now, 13-yard scramble, I think he ran much further than 13 yards, yards. Uh, to, get, to, get, to, get, to get there. But that was exactly what we missed about watching Kyler Murray play in the NFL on Sundays. Because there's often times when he's out there, you're going to see something you may never have seen before. But he has the ability, if he continues to play well and gets wins for this Arizona Cardinals offense and this Arizona Cardinals team, he has the ability to push them down in the draft with wins and then maybe the decision on drafting his replacement at the top of the draft could be more complicated who knows that's the interesting part of Kyler Murray I thought it was fascinating real quick Steve what do you think about the Steelers we heard Alex Highsmith right there is this one of the most least talked about aspects as they find ways to continue to win now that they're six and three I think that's the most talked about aspect is the fact that they keep getting outgained Every game, they're playing at a negative point differential and still winning football games. All right, JP, we'll be back on Thursday Unreal. at the NFL Report. We're going to have Baldy. We're going to have a whole lot more. And don't forget to listen to the podcast. Hey, and leave us a positive thumbs-up rating. Let's go. 